Rappaport here on WDAY, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Got a good show here. We are in uh, we're in the waning days of the Obama administration, and in those days, our lame duck president is um, – Oh, he, he's implementing a lot of policies. I, I would, I, I think the term I've been using has been to, uh, he's setting landmines for the Trump administration, policy landmines. He's going through, uh, we've got news, uh, he's, he's instituting a, a new offshore drilling ban. Um, he has, of course, you know, taken action rather infamously or I guess maybe a lack of action on the Dakota Access Pipeline situation. Um, and now, Another example is a new rule from the Department of Interior regarding mining, coal mining specifically. Uh, It's called the Stream Protection Rule. And what the administration is saying is that it updates a decades-old rule would minimize the impacts of surface and groundwater uh, sources from coal mining. But the the problem is is that they're implementing a one-size-fits-all rule across the United States. The state of North Dakota is already suing over this rule, and here to give us the straight dope is Public Service Commissioner Randy Chrisman. Uh, Commissioner Chrisman, thanks for your time. Uh, tell us, what what is this rule? I mean, it's it, just give us the broad stroke so that listeners can understand it, because I'm not sure everybody, you know, obviously follows this this regulatory stuff that closely. Well, it is a huge rule. You're right about that, Rob. And, and um, it's called the Stream Protection Rule. And it comes from, uh, we refer to it as OSM, the Office of Surface Mining, Reclamation, and Enforcement. That is a branch of the Department of Interior. So that's where this rule comes from. And, and th- that's the agency that approves states that have a state coal mining plan. And, uh, North Dakota, we have our own state uh, reclama- reclamation and regulation uh, plan since the since the 70s. Actually, we had a state plan before the federal government ever did, and when they adopted theirs, uh, we uh, made some changes to ours back in the 70s to to uh, make them similar and qualify. But bottom line here is, after decades of of operating the way we have, and 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 they uh, look over our our program every year and evaluate it and in in the nearly four decades that it's been in existence they have never criticized the water quality or uh, water availability issues or anything with it with any of our mine activities or mine reclamation work there, there just has literally been zero problems in this regard and now because of i mean i mean they blame the the need for this rule primarily the discussion is always uh um, mining activities in places like west virginia but they refuse to do a solution to that that is specific to those areas so they made a nationwide plan this new uh i believe it's about 1300 pages of rules called the stream protection rule that applies to all surface mining in the united states and, and frankly, because it's, it's designed for areas where mining and terrain and climate and everything else are completely different than here, it, it is so, such a dramatic impact on North Dakota, it, it, it would uh, just literally shut down mining on most of our land. 
let me let me recap some of that. And if people want to join in, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. So North Dakota, before the federal government even got involved in this, North Dakota had surface mining oversight, surface mining regulation. We've been operating that for decades now. Um, the federal government, when, when the federal government implemented their own regulations, we brought ours into compliance with, with their the new federal laws. Uh, they review our program of regulating surface mining every year. We don't have any problems. As a matter of fact, I think when we were talking last night, you told me that the uh, they last reviewed in June and, and found no problems uh, last yeah, June. In fact, said that they recommend no corrective actions. No corrective actions. So by all accounts, North Dakota's doing a good job. We don't have a problem. There may be some problems in Appalachia, in West Virginia, with coal mining and runoff there, but the Obama administration is is basically to solve problems that are in Appalachia, implementing a one size fits all policy that could have serious impacts here in North Dakota. Is that is that accurate? That that is dead spot on, and, How, and you know the the motives are hard to evaluate. I, I don't know if if this is laziness. They've spent five or six years doing this, so it's hard to attribute it to laziness that, that they just don't want to have. Uh, different rules for for different areas. Uh, so th- if it's not laziness, the only thing other thing I could really attribute it to is the fact that the the president before he ever became president, so over eight years ago, uh, talked about stopping coal mine and, and declared his war on coal. And, and this really seems to be an effort to carry that out and and bring it to to a conclusion. Why is this bad? I mean, if it's if it's if it if it's intended to address what may actually be a problem in Appalachia, why is this so bad for North Dakota? I mean, why, I mean, if it's good for Appalachia, why isn't it good for North Dakota? Well, because in in Appalachia, even to a lesser extent in places like Wyoming, where uh, the land is is probably going to be reclaimed just back into, into mountain territory or kind of desert territory in North Dakota, uh, we, we, uh, reclaim our land into very productive farmland. In fact, over half of the reclaimed acres in North Dakota are not put back into to, uh, pasture land. They're put back into uh, cropland that raises annual crops. Well, uh, under the, the stream protection rule, um, a lot of that land would, would not be allowed to go back into cropland. It would have to be put back into native species of grasslands. Um, they, they proposed uh, requiring a, a riparian or kind of a tree lining around many of the, the drainage areas where, for, for instance, uh, the, the lower valleys across fields um, where, where the snow melt runs off. Uh, they, they like tree buffers around those. Well, it makes it impossible to farm that area then because you have all these new trees in the way. And, and, and uh, also then with, um, you know, there's, there's small... Uh, streams that that are out in our native, you know, the the kinds of lands that, that we drive by and see as pasture lands, where there's maybe a little spring comes out and uh, and and it's wet there in that valley for a little ways, maybe a couple hundred feet, and then it just dries back up again. Well, those would all you'd have to go around those because you can't displace those, even if the mining company is willing to replace it with a water tank and, and rural water, for instance, which is, is a big improvement over just a little puddle in certain months of the year. But this would not allow those kinds of what I consider actually to be improvements. 
has anybody asked the Obama administration, like anybody from the, because what, what you're saying is what's good for Appalachia may not necessarily be good for North Dakota. Has anybody from the state reached out to the federal government and say, why are you trying to implement implement a one-size-fits-all rule for surface mining when coal mining in Appalachia looks very different than coal mining in Wyoming, which looks very different from coal mining in North Dakota? I mean, has anybody asked that question? And if so, what's the answer from the feds? Oh, yes, we have. Our, our congressional delegation has been very good. Um, the, the Public Service Commission has, has reached out to them. We filed comments. Um, our uh, director of reclamation uh, was in touch uh, frequently with them. And uh, we even, at the urging of, of, uh, of our congressional delegation, um, even got them to send the assistant secretary, Janice Schneider, out for a, a firsthand on-site mine visit. We, uh, and and uh, I was one of the ones that accompanied her up there. And uh, we had the whole congressional delegation there, showed her the exact things I'm talking about, these intermittent and ephemeral streams, uh, the, the types of land that we restore this to, the, 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 the uh, you know, putting back to cropland and such, which is what the egg producers want. It's what's the most productive for the state of North Dakota long term. And, and she saw this all firsthand. But, Rob, it's, it's like they have blinders on. They just go back and and uh, kind of piddle around the edges, and, and the, the main parts of, of the rule are, are left unchanged. And, and as of yesterday, uh, they, they've, they published this in the Federal Registry, which means that 30 days from yesterday it becomes the, the law of the land. And, and so that's why the, the Public Service Commission, working through and alongside the, the uh, Attorney General Wayne Stengem, uh, filed this lawsuit yesterday to uh, stop this, this rule from from uh, becoming law. Give us the news on, on the lawsuit. Are there any other states filing as well? I expect there will be. Um, I, I have not heard of any yet. I believe we were the first. But uh, I expect others will because, cause frankly, for the same reasons that the rule doesn't make sense, our legal arguments would be different. And, and that's why we didn't sit back. You know, there, there's times in, in this litigation with the federal government when it's best to sit back and, and be a role player in maybe a larger state with more resources lawsuit. But there's times when our arguments are so much different than the others that, that we need to go it on our own. And, and, and you like to be uh, cautious with, with your resources and, and like I say, um, work with others when you can. But in this case, North Dakota mining and, and the ultimate post-mine land use is so much different than anybody else. Um, I feel it was really important to uh, go this on our own, make our own arguments, and, and try and make sure that this thing uh, does not um, prevail. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, obviously, if Wyoming wants to challenge it, mining surface mining in Wyoming is different. That's the whole reason, as you said, the rule doesn't work. Is also sort of the reason why I guess uh, a bunch of states can't necessarily get together and and uh, pile on on the, with with the same filings. Right. Uh, is, is there any indication? Last question: Is there any indication that? the Trump administration, that this is something that they could walk back when they come. I mean, that's something we talk about a lot with the Dakota Access situation where, you know, the Obama administration is making decisions about these easements and stuff. Is this something that when Trump comes into office, he could just say disregard? I'm not a lawyer, but my understanding is this. This took six or eight years to, to implement. And, and in order to do rules like this, they have to 
um, allow time for response, although they really didn't listen to our response and things like that. Uh, it's a long process, and I believe that probably the same timing would have to be done in order to walk it back. However, there is the Congressional Review Act. Um, I've heard uh, Senator Hoven and Congressman Kramer talk about using the Congressional Review Act. Uh, with that, they, the Congress would have 60 days to undo this regulation. And I've also heard uh, U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell talk about using it. That would actually be the best way to do this. It would save everybody a lot of time and money litigating it. And, and so I, I'm really hopeful that um, the U.S. Congress will use that, that Congressional Review Act and stop this. However, I'm not hopeful enough that I'm willing to risk our lignite industry or the uh, dependability and affordability of our electric grid for, for consumers all across the Midwest uh, to rely on them to do this. So, so just in case they're not able to get it done, um, I wanted to make sure that the Public Service Commission and the Attorney General take this step, file the papers. I, I uh, anticipate uh, that there will probably also be a need to um, ultimately file here to have this uh, set aside until it can be litigated so that it doesn't go in effect in 30 days, but that's another step in the process that the lawyers will have to work out. But So there is that hope with Congress, but um, yeah. just in case, we needed to get into court on this. Well, I, I guess we'll see how it, how it unfolds. Hopefully it'll it'll be done away and Congress can act uh, quickly. Uh, Commissioner Crispin, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Hope to talk to you again soon. Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah, same to you. Same to you. More to come straight ahead. Rob Report, 701-293-9000, We'll be right back. Don't go away. Well, I found her out in Baltimore. She never tried to show me the door. She said, stay Welcome back, Rob. Port here on WDAY, 701-293-9000, And Atil, uh, my hometown up here of Minot is going to be on the Weather Channel tonight and not just necessarily for weather updates. Oh, oh really? There's a, uh, they're, they're airing a, a special tonight um, about communities that are vanishing. And it's about our flood. You know, 2011, there was a lot of floods around the state. Uh, Minot was one community that was impacted. Uh, the Suris River flooded. It was very, it was devastating for our community. It was, it was very, very difficult time. Uh, but the Weather Channel is coming back, and they're talking about how it was climate change, and that Minot oh. is is one of many communities that are are vanishing. And they've got this preview up on on Facebook, and it features a couple of our our community leaders. And I, I actually reached out to them this afternoon, and I was like. What is going on with our community vanishing? And, uh, you know, they're kind of saying that's not what we really did the interview about. So I'm actually we're going to have them on the radio show tomorrow. Uh, the, the show airs tonight um, and then we're going to have them on on the, the radio show tomorrow uh, to talk about that uh, that depiction, uh, because I can assure you. Minot's not disappearing. I, I think our, I, I wouldn't think so. I think you would notice if Minot I would, was disappearing. I would notice. Yeah. 
Our, our, our population in 2010, according to the census, was like just over 40,000, and our population now is like 50,000. So, oh, so, so you're we, not slowly slipping into the void is what you're telling me. I don't know how you vanish and add 10,000 people. And the city's having to buy people out of the flood zone. Like, there's still people living there, and they don't want to leave the flood zone, and the city's buying them out. Like, that's obviously, you know, we all know how that, that works. There's a lot of political rigmarole about that, but people aren't vanishing. I, I don't know. We'll have to watch it tonight. It's going to be pretty interesting, but stay tuned for that tomorrow. Uh, more coming up straight ahead here on the show, 701-293-9000, going to take a break, get some news, weather. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Rob Port, WDAY, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. You know, we're, uh, yesterday we saw the first convictions of Dakota Access Pipeline protesters. There were hundreds of arrests. Um, those, those cases are now making their way through the court system. Uh, the two defendants yesterday were ultimately convicted of misdemeanors, um, although their their attorneys pushed it all the way to a full trial. Uh, but something interesting happened. I, I had written on the blog earlier this month that prosecutor Lad Erickson, he's from McLean County, uh, and he's been one of the uh, one of the people involved in, uh, I, I, I guess, helping helping Morton County handle this this influx of, of criminal cases. Um uh, he had filed a motion with the court asking that the defense attorneys keep track of all their expenses because he intends to hold hearings after the fact to get the protesters to reimburse the state for their public defenders. His argument is is that indigent counsel is for indigents and, you know, political activists who are well-financed with millions and millions of dollars of donations don't need indigent counsel. And he also pointed to a video evidence of, you know, basically the activists just flat out saying their intent was to, uh, you know, run up as many legal costs for the state of North Dakota as possible, uh, among those legal costs being, uh, you know, sort of overwhelming the public defender's office. So yesterday, when these first two cases came through, the judge said, uh, you know what? Uh, you guys are going to pay 500 bucks back to your attorneys. Now that obviously doesn't cover the costs of their of their legal counsel, and attorney costs far more than that. But it's something, you know. It's not nothing. Uh, and I'm I'm glad I'm glad he did it. Uh, what, what the judge said, the judge actually said, I quote, "You could get a job and pay these costs back." I think that's right. I I think I'm I'm glad to see that that's happening. I'm glad the judge is um, is going to get some money back. Um, I uh, the the two gentlemen yesterday who were convicted of, of misdemeanors, they got a 10 day suspended jail sentence. They were ordered to pay $500 in restitution back to law enforcement and then $500 to their attorney. So, thousand bucks, which 
Uh, and, and by the way, their their crime was blocking a, a highway. So I don't know. I, I think that's reasonable. Um, think what you want of the protest. Think what you want of the pipeline. The protesters did illegal things. They blocked highways. They trespassed. They vandalized. They need to be held accountable for that in, in a court of law. And, you know, whatever you may think of the justness of their of their protest, they're not above the law any more than anybody else is. That's what I think. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Also interesting, switching gears here, talking about money still, though. Um, incoming Governor Doug Burgum, remember back during his campaign, one of his, his campaign promises was that if he was elected governor, he wouldn't accept his salary. Well, earlier this week, in an article about Burgum backing away from a lot of his business interests now that he's in elected office, he is saying that he's continuing to explore ways to refuse his governor's pay. Uh, he says, I quote, you would think that as governor, that on the first day you could say I refuse my salary, but this thing is hardwired into a bunch of places. So we've got lawyers looking at trying to figure out how to get this thing done. Uh, he described the difficulty in making it happen as, quote, a poster child for some of the things that are wrong with government. And I, I don't know. I, I wish I wish Bergen would just accept his salary and move on. And and here's why. The reason why Doug Bergham can turn down his salary is because Doug Bergham is already a rich guy, right? He's got lots and lots of money. The money that he would turn down, it's it's really just sort of a symbolic political thing. I guess it's the sort of thing that sounds nice in TV ads. But ultimately, what I don't want to see happen is... We put, we create a political situation where it is expected of people who run for that office to turn down their salary. And if that's the case, then the only people who are going to be able to run for that office successfully is going to be people who could refuse, you know, who can afford to work a full time job like governor without pay now granted a lot of the expenses are still paid i mean heck there's even a governor's mansion for you to live in but you still got to have a salary i mean who, who can afford to give up four or even eight years of their lives without a salary well doug Burgum can and yeah, good for doug successful guy he's worked hard he's accomplished a lot i'm glad he's in that position i'm happy for his success but he should take the salary he's doing the job he should take the salary it's a shallow political gesture, and it also may create an expectation, may create a tradition where other candidates, you know, voters begin to expect the same thing from other candidates. And that's going to put us in a situation where the only people who can hold that office are people who are very, very rich. And I don't necessarily know that that's what we want, right? I mean, what if there's, I, I don't know, what if there's a, what if there's a defense attorney at some point who wants to run for governor? What if there's, uh, I don't know, a gas station owner who's been serving in the legislature and then he decides he wants to run for governor, he or she? And in order to run for governor, you know, they've got to step away from their businesses and everything, right? Because, you know, we have a certain level of, of expectation there that they they do the job as governor, right? You can't continue to just work your old job you can't work a day job while you're governor you've got to give all your time to the governorship so 
how is that person going to serve as governor if, if they can't have a salary? I, I think it's silly. Uh, I think Burgum's got better things to focus his attention on right now than, you know, deploying a legal team to figure out how to decline a salary. Just take a salary. Let's move on to important business. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Got a caller, Aaron. What's up? Hey, Rob, a couple of points. Uh, first of all, uh, I can't remember a governor in the last half dozen, Dalrymple, Holden, Schaefer, uh, any yeah, of them all... that are very destitute. But Yeah, they, on, they've all been on, rich. On the, on the other hand, if, if Bergham, all he would have to do is write a check every month for whatever he gets, say $10,000, and, and donate it to uh, lunches for kids at school or the VA home in Lisbon or uh, Medora Foundation. Yeah. That's all he would have to do. Yeah, I mean, if that, if that's he's he's looking for a way that he can because he wants to just turn it back and not even have it come out of the general fund well, in the first place. But, um, I, but I, I I get it. I mean, if that's what he wants to do, fine, do that, right? I mean, but, there there's lots of places. I mean, the, the the state of North Dakota ran up a seventeen million dollar bill for law enforcement. I'm sure he could donate it to help defray some of that. Well, um, you know, th- there's a lot of ways. Accept the money and then do whatever the heck he wants with it. Donate it to charity. Um, but, you know, but, use it for some quasi public interest. Do it that way. But you know, realistically, I, I don't remember a governor that's been very uh, needy. No. You know. No. Well, I mean, well, that's probably because <laughs> that's probably because far back a sinner and uh, no, and I, Olsen, Olsen was probably the last one that might have needed a paycheck. Yeah, I mean, I mean, listen, you know, probably the people we elect governor are successful people, right? I mean, right, if they right. if they were unsuccessful. They wouldn't probably be very good candidates to consider to be governor, right, if they're destitute or whatever. I'm just saying there may be somebody – I mean, there's there's a lot of different levels of success. And I don't know that we want to isolate, you know, create a prerequisite for becoming governor to have like like a Burgum or a a Dalrymple or a Hoven or an Ed Schaefer level of wealth. Uh, and I, I don't hold that wealth against those men. They were successful no, people. No, That's I don't wonderful. Absolutely. That's no, great. Good for them. It's but if, exactly. but I mean, you could be, you could be a successful car dealership owner, and still need to have that salary to be governor. Oh, exactly. Right? That's the point. Or a farmer, or what have you. I mean, you could be a successful person, and still need a yearly income. And I, I, I just don't want to create that situation. I, honestly, I think there's better things for our governor, our governor to focus on. More to come straight ahead, 701-293-9000, We'll be right back. Welcome back. I, I like the mix of uh, a regular bump music and the holiday music, Mateel. It's about that time. I don't want to just overwhelm so. everybody with holiday music. It's not quite Ease Christmas. into it. Yeah. Just it's wait for not, Friday. It's, <laughs> it's not like the post-Thanksgiving go to the shopping mall and they punch you in the face with it. We're going to ease into it here on the show, right? We're still a couple days out. I, I and I Honestly, I like Christmas music. And I, I say that. People laugh at me. I'm I'm not a Christian. I'm, I'm, I'm an atheist. But... Uh, and, and maybe maybe this sounds weird. I I like it. I, I like Christmas music. I I think the Christmas season is fun. Um, I don't buy in. You know, I'm I'm not. It's it's not my religious festival because it's not my religion. But mm-hmm. I uh, I I enjoy it because 
you know, I mean, the basic premise, get together with family, give one another gifts, enjoy each other's company, celebrate the, the year. I mean, that's those are things I can get behind. I'm on board. I love Christmas music. I, yeah. I love everything about the holiday season, about Christmas time in general. And I don't care what your your desired winter holiday is. If it's, you know, Hanukkah, if it's Kwanzaa, if it's Yule, if it's Festivus. Yeah. It's it's that time of season. It's the winter holiday season and I I have always really loved this time of year. Yeah. No, it's it's fun. And we're supposed to, uh, you know, maybe maybe people are going to hate me for saying this. I'm kind of rooting for a blizzard <laughs> over oh, Christmas. Oh, I really don't want it. To, I don't want it to happen on Christmas Day. I would like for it to wait until like maybe the evening on Christmas Day into like the 26th cuz yeah. I got to drive. I got to go down to oh. Fort Ransom. Well, I hope you're safe. Uh I guess I'm kind of rooting for it because we're stocked up on groceries. I'm on vacation all next week. Uh, you know, let it snow. I'm, I'm ready for it. I got board games. I got my kids. We'll have a good time. Uh, speaking of next week, by the way, uh, we'll have guest hosts in. Uh, we'll have, I, what are we doing for Monday? Monday's, a, we're, we're kind of taking it as a holiday. I don't, I don't know what we're doing Monday. You get a best of show. Well, we're I'm doing making okay, you your so very first best of. We'll have a we'll have a best of on Monday, and then Tuesday we'll have State Senator John Casper. You're able to make the a, program. You're able to make a best of report. Wow. Well, that was mean. I guess we got. I guess we got the Grinch on the I was, show. I was here. just going to say it sounds ho, like Mr. Grinch. Oh, mm-hmm. we'll shoot your eye out, Port. <laughs> yeah. Well, just just so we're clear, a lot of my best of is going to be me sitting in while you're at home for you from your show. Is I'll be, what that's going to be. I'll be sitting home listening, enjoying. Yeah. Uh, you coming enjoy. on at two o five. Yeah, yeah, I'll be on at two o five. We're going to talk a little bit. I, I guess my my hometown has been vanishing. According yeah, to the I channel. I had no idea. That's the craziest thing. Yeah, our population's up twenty percent, but I guess we're vanishing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we'll have some fun with this two o five. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Uh, yes, uh, State Senator John Casper's on Tuesday. We'll have uh, City Commissioner John Strand sitting in for me Wednesday. Commissioner Tony Garrick will be in for me Thursday next week. Uh, and Friday, I think there's a hockey game that's going to be played. So. We just got the rotating commissioners. Yeah, that's right. So that'll, that's uh, next week. Tomorrow, State Representative Corey Mock, Democrats, uh, Senate, uh, House Minority Leader, is going to be on the program. Also, I'll have two city leaders from Minot to talk about our I guess our community vanishing because of climate change. We'll have them on tomorrow. Remember, you can catch me here 1 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. Oh, oh, the mistletoe, I'm